And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza on Blaze Radio. Live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. And welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza on another Sunday night, the first time in season. We'll be coming to you live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio here in downtown Phoenix. My name is Nicholas Hodep. Dick Keneally is alongside me. And for there not being a lot of high-profile matchups, this is about, I think, the craziest opening week that we could have asked for. A hundred percent. I mean, so many great games, uh, a lot of down-to-the-wire games, a lot of ranked teams getting upset. So we'll just we'll get we'll get right into that, uh, talking about the, these ranked teams. How about that? Yeah, that would be a great idea. And we're going to start... Uh, really with the Armed Forces Classic, and it's been a while since we've had a game on a carrier. Uh-huh. And this one did not disappoint. Gonzaga getting tested to the absolute limit against Michigan State. In a game that Michigan State really controlled, leading for nearly a half an hour uh, up the 40 minutes. Takes some great performances, particularly for Manny Sissoko. I mean, we talked a lot about Joey Hauser and his good contribution to Michigan State. Only had two points. So it was Matty Sissoko that really came to the forefront and really beat Drew Timmy in that first half. But he came on strong in the second half to me, did a double-double in the end of 22 and 13. Julius Drother, a near double-double with 13 and 9. And then ended up getting the job done, 64-63. And so apologies for the uh, occasional plosives. Equipment is going crazy. There's nothing else we can do. So please bear with us with that. But this Gonzaga game was a little, so much fun to watch. I mean, it had me absolutely jumping around. I was uh, trying to attend a, a, a wedding dress rehearsal where I had to get told where to go, but I was just looking down at my phone all the time, mi- the missing directions because of how good this game was. I mean, yeah, you mentioned it first uh, game on an aircraft carrier in 10 years, and uh, I was actually about 15 minutes uh, away from away from the venue, and I considered skipping all family events to try to go get see this game, and I honestly feel like I should have. I mean, down to the wire, an absolute instant classic, and, you know, we really almost saw this instant upset of this two-seed Gonzaga team, um, and this Michigan State team really proved that they are not to be messed with, that they are uh, a very underrated team to this point. Yeah, number one, don't schedule weddings during the fall. Mm-mm. Number two, don't schedule weddings during college basketball season. That, that's the advice for your family I think I can give. It's probably the best I could give. Uh, but you know, you're absolutely right. This is one of those games in which this is such a good test for Gonzaga of their adversity because they got a great schedule coming up this next week, and they're going to get a lot more adversity. And so this really was that first test that they passed with flying colors. And this really gives me a lot of hope for Michigan State that they can compete with these big boys because they're going to have to do it a lot in the Big Ten Conference. And those are the kind of games that they're going to have to really buckle down and try to maybe win in the Big Ten slate. But at least for right now, that's a great start to their season to be so close to upsetting a top-two team in Gonzaga. San Diego State. And having to come back themselves against a valiant BY2 team that actually did leave for over half an hour against San Diego State. Thanks to great performances by guard Spencer Johnson with 17 and 7, Rudy Williams with 15 and 4, but San Diego State ended up being Jaden Ledee off the bench with 23 points. How about his performance with six rebounds? Really solid stuff from him. Nathan Mensah, a double double. And some of these players, like Lamont Butler and Matt Bradley, just couldn't get it going, especially Bradley, 3 of 16 from the floor. That hurts. 
I mean, yeah, this early into the season, of course, you can expect to have some players with maybe communication issues. Maybe there'll be turnover issues this far, this early into the season. But I mean, a three for sixteen like game this this early, you can't, that's hard to shake, especially coming so early into the season. How these opening games really set the tone for the season. We talk about that all the time. How you want to get that basis down for the for the entirety of your regular season in this first couple of weeks of basketball, and you can't have those types of performances. I mean, just just keeping keeping putting up that type of volume, but the shots just weren't falling, and you you really have to hope for him that like he's able to work out whatever kinks there were in practice, uh, because that's that's not promising at all. I think the thing that really strikes me about this game for San Diego State is that they are able to find another option off the bench that could contribute in a massive way. And Jaden Ledeen. I think that's a really positive thing going forward for this club. Now, you combine that with Lamont Butler, who's actively involved in the game, and not only playing 23 minutes due to presumed foul trouble, he had four in the game. You combine it with Matt Bradley, when he's actually on a good shooting night. I mean, this can be a very dangerous team. And so I think finding another option like this in a big game is huge. And this loss went really bad for San Diego State, considering a BYU to get its Idaho State earlier in the week barely beating Idaho State. I mean, that was a very competitive game for BYU. They ended up winning. Uh, but just comparing the two performances for BYU, Spencer Johnson was a very good contributor in both of those games. Rudy Williams found a bit more shooting. He had 6-12 against SDSU compared to a 2-9 of nine performance against Idaho State. You had a Florida City Trahora. I hopefully didn't screw that up too much, who contributed very well. Uh, once again, not as much rebounding as SCSU, but still a very good night for him. So you really have of several guys you can really rely on if you're BYU and trying to get these, those really good games going forward. But for San Diego State, yes, this is a big game they had to win. And the way they did it, once again, it works to me down four at halftime and a controlling the second half for the most part, 46-35 second half performance. So you get that second half, and it was a really job well done in that department. Free throw shooting could have been a little bit better for San Diego State, but all you need right now is wins against quality teams, and if the bottom doesn't fall out for BYU, that's a good win to have. Other teams weren't so lucky. Uh, one of those being Philanova in the Philadelphia games. Losing at Temple, 68-64. Wacky finish. Temple thought they had the game over. Students rushed the field. Court, I should say. The referee's like, hold on, hold on. We got two tenths left. They push them all back. They're all around the baseline. Such a dangerous situation. <laughs> it was chaos, but a four-point margin of victory for Temple. Khalif Battle performed really well with 21 points. Not the best shooting night for him, but he got the job done. Jamil Reynolds with a double-double. And Damian Dunn was the guy for Temple with 22 points and solid shooting. I mean, for Philadelphia, you got solid performances from Eric Dixon with 18 and Caleb Daniels from 19, but... Just two points for Chris Archidiacino. Just was not involved shooting-wise for this team. Only had one assist. Had ten rebounds. But other than that, just wasn't really involved. And I don't think that's a winning formula for Villanova. Yeah, and I think another thing that won't be able to contribute to wins for Villanova is the fact that they only shot seven threes throughout this entire game. And, and, and I always talk about in college of basketball, you need that floor spacing. You only Not made. You only shot seven three-pointers and out of those seven three-pointers they only made two two three-pointers in an entire game 
in this modern college basketball era, that is not a recipe to succeed. You also throw on 13 team turnovers on top of that, and you, you got a disaster. And that's really what you have with this upset is an absolute meltdown. I, I don't know. If, I mean, you can look at it as perhaps a game plan issue because of how little volume they were shooting, but it's things like that. You can't win like that. You can't. You can't. And and this is despite shooting nearly 10% better from the floor and 10 less field goal attempts. I think that's an important thing to note as well. But yeah, you're right. They need to get they need to get some more guards involved in the three-point shooting department. I mean, no one player took any more than two threes. I mean, you can't feel yourself if you're not taking threes. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing really else I could say more than that. And then Oregon. Yikes. A 13-point loss at home to UC Irvine was not what they had in store. And we're going to talk a lot more about the Pac-12 overall later on in our program. But this was not good at all for anybody. It was just an unmitigated disaster. And it was about the last thing Oregon could have wanted. Um, there's nothing really I could say uh, in that department. And this was despite Oregon having a run at the end of the game. Let me repeat that. Oregon lost by 13 points. They had a scoring run at the end of the game. I mean, you, you know, that scoring run, at one point, they, I believe they were down by 24-25 to this UCI team. I mean, terrible shooting. I mean, shot 4 for 21 on threes. You talk about Villanova's lack of volume. Oregon had the volume completely lacked all efficiency that you need to to take home a game plus 15 team turnovers i mean no communication going in i mean they were underprepared for this uc Irvine team they were not aware of their team shooting capabilities and offensively they couldn't get it done couldn't get in sync with each other and couldn't and with the, with themselves they couldn't even put the ball into the bucket uh, that's not even a passing issue when it's a wide open shot. That's you in the rim, and they could not make that connection anyway. But I mean, just terrible for Oregon. Another, <laughs> another perhaps depressing Pac-12 performance. Yeah, we had a lot of those this week. But I, I really look at the backcourt for Oregon; it's just underwhelming. I mean, Will Richardson one for six, Keyshawn Barthemley three of seven. I mean, Rivaldo Torres one of three, Tyron Williams two of six. I mean, the centers I mean. And Folly Dante and Nate Bennett off the bench are the two best players for this team. That can't happen for Oregon to win games. You need Richardson at the very least to be on his game, and that just didn't didn't happen. One of the other ranked teams that had a lot of trouble this week was TCU. And oh boy, when I say trouble, I mean they were in real danger of losing on opening night to Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah, this was not as TC decided. It was a one-point game decided in the final possession. And Arkansas Pine Bluff, like I mentioned in their after-party episode earlier this week, led for two and a half more time than TCU did. It was an unmitigated disaster, and for a winning team, in the let me backtrack a little bit. For a top 15 team at home against a sub-300 Kim Palm team like Arkansas Pine Bluff, this cannot happen. Period. I mean... I don't know if our folks in the video podcast on Spotify would be able to see this very well, but I'm going to pull up my printed uh, analytics chart here, the win probability, and I don't think you're going to be able to see this very well, Honor, but there's a little, it's like bottom for TCU, like right around through here. There's a little jump for Arkansas Pine Bluff in the win probability. It's probably around a little, 
less than 75% chance that TCU wins. This can not happen, period. This cannot happen for TCU. I mean, this was an unmitigated disaster for them. I mean, yeah, and you had a ton of things going for TCU. I mean, they shot 38 free throws to Arkansas Pine Bluffs, 10. I mean, when you shoot four times as many free throws as another team, especially when the other team is shooting a double-digit amount of free throws, that is not a single possession game right there. That is, when you look at that alone, you would expect TCU, I mean, especially for TCU being TCU, you would expect them to have such a great game, but... That is really, I guess, what saved them here. I mean, terrible shooting from the field. I mean, 19% from behind the arc. That is not acceptable except this uh, against this Arkansas Pine Bluff team. I mean, you, TCU, are looking to be a top team in the country. That is your goal. You want to have that offensive efficiency. You can't do it without offensive efficiency. And that is the opposite of what you showed. Nine, 19% from three, and oh, if if they if they lost this game, which they were so so close to, I mean throw throw I mean already throw the, the the panic alarm, and you should also be throwing the panic alarm too already, but that that would have that would have sealed it already. But yeah, you know, we'll get to that. Yeah, it, I mean Mike Miles shot four of eight. What's he doing? Only getting eight field goal attempts in the game. What is what 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 is Mike Miles doing? having more free-throw attempts than field goal attempts. That's not a good game plan for recipe. That's not, that's not a good game plan for success. Emmanuel Merak had a good shooting at 8 of 13 of 19 points and 5 rebounds. It's actually a really good night. Chuck O'Bannon, 2 of 10. Horrible night for him shooting. But 6 to 7 from the line. That's how he got his points. I mean, so many key players got their points in the free-throw line in this game, and that should not be happening for TCU at all. I mean, that's an unmitigated disaster. When I mean, you look at the first half in particular... 1-11 from 3. Mike Miles had 11 points. 6 field goal attempts. 9 free throw attempts. And when it was 5-9 from the line. That, man, ugh, that's, that's awful. I mean, just every single data point about this game was bad for TCU. I mean, and I think there is a larger narrative on the SWAC that they're going to be a really solid bottom of the pack conference. We'll get more about the SWAC later on in this program. But I also want to mention TCU's follow-up. Because... It also was not convincing. It was a double-digit win against Lamar, you know, as expected. It was a lot better of a performance considering they tried to control it a little bit. It was way too close. And first half of that second half, between the 15-minute mark, 10-minute mark, we were looking at a four-point game, five-point, three-point game at one point. That's not good enough. I mean, that's not. I mean, I mean there are some better data points here. Mike Miles had 26 points in this game of 5 rebounds and 5 assists. 7 of 13 from the floor. 9 of 14 from the free throw line. Again, wh why? Why? I mean, good for him for drawing contact and getting to the line. That must be said. Good for him. But you need him to be a little bit more involved in the offensive game, in my opinion. I mean, I, mean, I just think that needs to be happening more. Emmanuel Miller... 6-12 from the floor, 12 points and rebounds, 6 assists. That's a really solid game for a player. Again, a 3-point shooting wasn't the best, just 25% from the game. 43.5% from the field, that was a little bit better. And they tried to really control this early in the first half and let Lamar get within him a little bit. Uh, but really, all the control they had was late with a 12-2 run that extended into the opening possessions of the second half. But 
you still look at this as a team that was very similar as bottom of the pack in Kempom nationally. Not to talk about within a conference nationally. Lamar's 359 at that at that time. I mean, it's still not good enough. I mean, TCU should be looking to beat this team by 20 plus with the amount of experience they have, the amount of chemistry they have together on the floor, as they've been together for so long as a team. You should be beating teams like this so much more comfortably. And they didn't do it in either instance, but it was a little bit more encouraging against Lamar. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think a lot of this, uh, the difference in this game boils down to, I think, I think Mike Miles Jr. had some more usage in this game against Lamar versus against uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. But I mean, besides that, he had that the 26 points, which 14 uh, on 14 free throw attempts, nine of those points came from free throws, but he had that dagger at the end of the end of the game, and he keeps proving why he should be getting a lot more usage from TCU. But still, his volume isn't isn't exactly what you would look for uh, as the as the key player of your team. As what I said should be the conference player of the year. By the way, I I need more Mike Miles Jr usage out of TCU and that's just not what I'm getting I mean he's averaging uh, through these couple games north of 20 points he's he's playmaking the ball he's getting rebounds he's shooting fairly efficiency from behind the arc I need more of him and I don't know if TCU is going to be giving me more of him yeah I mean 26 5 and 5 is a good night his assist to turnover ratio was below one which is a big problem in and of itself but Emmanuel Mill really made up for it with six assists and zero turnovers. So you have some things that kind of balance each other out a little bit more, and you see some more encouraging signs of what this team can do, but it's still not good enough. I mean, this TCU team at this form right now, if they were in a Big 12 conference play, it would be ugly for them. It would be ugly. And I don't, it's like for a 2-0 team, traditionally the AP poll voters, they don't mess with teams too much that win their games, especially early on, but... I don't see how you don't do that. I, I don't see it. I mean, bad performance against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Average at best against Lamar. I, I mean, this is not encouraging at all. And it is one of the worst weeks I can remember for a top 15 team of two bye games of this bad quality. Against teams of this bad quality. Nothing against Lamar and Arkansas Pine Bluff. That's just the way it is. And you just look at where things were. I mean... Just looking at the, the scoring and possession reference chart, I mean, it was a tie game within the first parade, which that'll happen to some teams against better opposition. I mean, there's no denying that. That'll happen. You had a, yourself a little bit more success, getting to a nine-point game at half. Game was as down to one point. 13-14 left in the game. For TCU against Lamar, that could not happen in the second half. I'm sorry, it can't. And they ha- they can really ch- controlled it from about... The six-minute mark on but that was about all I could say. I mean, even at the ten-minute mark, this was an eight-point game. At the nine-and-a-half-minute mark, it was a five-point game. That's not good enough. That is unnecessarily competitive for a team of TCU's quality. And we wonder if the amount of experience and chemistry they have, you wonder if that's just not going to carry the line. I mean, and just speaking to TCU, like, for a second, in going to the side of, of their doubt, they are missing uh, their their one of their backcourt members, Damian Baugh. Uh, he's suspended indefinitely by the NC2A. Uh, he signed with a non-approved agent because they thought he was going to be going to the NBA last year. Decided to come back to C- TCU, but the NC2A was like, hey, 
you signed with this this agent that's not on that's not on the list. We're gonna suspend you indefinitely. No timeline on his return yet. He is going to be a major piece for TCU when he does come back. Um, just bouncing off of Mike Miles, I think it's it's gonna take a lot of load off Mike Miles so he can focus on more efficient efficient usage, uh, which you always like to see. But I mean, not a complete team, but they definitely don't look complete. If he comes back. If I mean this that's is a like, big that's, if. that's the kind of thing the NCAA has no tolerance for. And we'll absolutely just hang on the suspension and hang on and hang on and hang on. You get the drift. If he's not back, this team is screwed. They're screwed. 100%. Another conference that might be screwed is the Pac-12. And they had an awful week. I mean, we talked already about Oregon losing to UC Irvine. That's going to or surely knock him out of the top 25 in the AP. How many points they get is going to be way up in the air. But more chaos in this conference USC, let's address this elephant in the room first. Oregon's loss to UC Irvine was a loss the conference cannot afford. USC losing to Florida Gulf Coast by 13 is right in that category. 74-61. USC actually did make this game for more time than FGCU. But, and USC had a one-point halftime lead, but the Eagles had a 45-31 second-half advantage. Thanks to solid free throw shooting, 17 and 22. Would like to see a few more free throws made out of 22, to be honest, but that's not terrible for that now. Chase Johnson at 20 points and three rebounds for the Eagles. You had Isaiah Thompson, the guard of 16 points. Mostly free throw shooting. Keep that in mind. Demir Bishop had 10. More free throw makes and field goals. A lot of things working against them there, especially after FGCU had just two free pointers made out of 11. 18% overall was much better than the second half of 6 of 16. My issue for USC in this particular game, this was rectified against Alabama State. Drew Peterson only had 7 points. 9 rebounds and 6 assists. 1 to 1 ratio assists to turnovers. Overall, not terrible, but points, you need more from him. You need more from Kobe Johnson, I think, in my opinion. 6 and 4, not going to get the job done, I don't think. Boogie Ellis is the only player in my mind that really performed. 5 of 13, 3 of 6 from 3, by the way. Uh, 6 of 7 from the line. Really the only player that performed was potential, in my opinion, in this game. Just an awful, awful loss. Quad 4. This is, will be quad 4 with the way it's set up with home games. That's awful for USC. 100%. You can't lose a game like that at home. And it, it came from different areas. I mean, you, you talk about uh, FGC, uh, FGCU's Chase Johnston off the bench with uh, with 20 points, shooting 4 for 11 from 3. It's it's those players that I don't know if they necessarily was, were game planning for him to go off like that, but you have to make those in-game adjustments to these players. I mean, you had some solid scoring throughout uh, pretty much the whole starting lineup besides... Uh, uh, Caleb Cato, he he did pretty much uh, nothing offensively for FGCU, but like everywhere else, you had all these players popping up, and it looked like it looks it looks right now like USC cannot make in-game adjustments. That's just what it's looking like. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely awful to say the least. And you know, the Pat Trump had a lot more problems than that, and I mean a lot more problems. Colorado. We'll get to their win earlier today. But the Pac-12 SWAC Legacy Series, it's a great educational initiative for, for the Pac-12 and SWAC student-athletes to get together and 
you know, discuss the culture and some of the education related historically to black colleges and universities. It's a fantastic initiative. I will not fault the PAC club for taking an educational stance on this. But what in the world is Colorado losing a game at Grambling for? What? <laughs> this was ugly. It was a 14-point game at halftime. Colorado did not lead for a single second. How bad of a performance does that have to be, Nick? Oh, I mean, terrible. I mean, like, out of, out of a, going to a smaller school and not, not a second of being in the lead. I mean, you, you have some of these games where it's like they, they led for a while and then the other team came back, made a last second or one of heroics. This was an entire game of not having a grip on it. Zero, zero grip on this game. Just no sense of control for Colorado. Yeah, I mean, it's just an absolute mitigated disaster. This will be a quad four loss. It will be. Uh, that is something that I am just, we're, we're just not even going to, it's just absolutely awful to uh, say the least. And it is absolutely a situation that they just had to avoid. You know, get in there, get the education, and win. And they failed to do that in the worst possible way. And that is just something that is just, you, you can't do it at all. Just a disastrous performance, to say the least. And it's just not something that is good. But they bounced back. And a big-time one at Nashville, 78-66 over Tennessee, which... I'm not going to get into it too much because we, we, we have some other things to do, but Colorado had a fantastic performance down the stretch, pulling away from Tennessee in what I would call a semi-away atmosphere. Truly a remarkable performance, especially from K.J. Simpson, who had 23 and 10 with three assists. Great performance. Second half shooting was great for Colorado. And that's, that's the bounce-back performance of the year, and I don't know if it'll be matched given the circumstances. And at that point, you figure the Pac-12 might have bought themselves a little bit of goodwill. And then Arizona State ruins it with another Pac-12 SWAC Legacy Series road loss against Texas Southern. Now, this will likely be Quad 3. Texas Southern's a great SWAC program, the perennial program of the conference. And I don't think Texas Southern falls to the low of 241 or below that would make this game go into quad four for Arizona State if they are even in resume conversation at that point. But a lot of the same issues for Arizona State came up in this game as they did against Tarleton, which, my opinion, they should have lost that game. You had Frankie Collins being the main scorer of this game. He had 23 points and 8 rebounds and 3 assists. 5 turnovers. That's not good. You had a Ward Washington player who didn't shoot very well but had 14 rebounds. Had a double-double. Cannot fault him against that. But DJ Horn and Devin Cambridge failed to shoot. Horn was 3 of 12. Cambridge was 1 of 7. I hope I'm not getting the Cambridges messed up there. And what a Cambridge and Horn for this ASU team must shoot the ball well every night or this will happen. They have become the two keys to this team. Not even Bagley anymore. Keeva, by the way, is out for this game. So keep that in mind. Horn and Cambridge cannot shoot like they did against Texas Southern, like they did against Tarleton. Devin Cambridge was one of seven. 
Horn was 2 of 7 on the Monday night game. Shooting like this will allow them to lose to Oregon State and Cal consistently, in my opinion. Consistently. Now, if they shoot the ball good, I think ASU has potential. We have seen that in action in their game against Northern Arizona. But they have just inconsistent, and this is the kind of thing that happens when they do not shoot the ball well. I mean, and it's things like that that frustrate me about this team is because they have talent on their team, but it's it's that lack of consistency that you see. I mean, I mean DJ Horn with with that that three for twelve performance today. It's you really you really need him to uh, like step up some more. He has shown a great amount of talent, but you just need it to come through more every every game. I mean, you talk about these great teams; they have those consistent players, and then they have players that can jump up and have those great performance every once in a while. DJ Horn is one of those players that needs to be a consistent night-by-night player. He isn't one of those players on the team that will, that can go give you that, that consistent, that, that big night every once in a while. You need that big night every night from him, and that's just have, we just haven't really seen that. Yeah, and, and they need it. I mean, for a year which Bobby Hurley, I think, is on the hot seat, I mean, this is just a bad start. And their Legends Classic... Coming up in the MTE this next week, I project a loss to VCU. And if Horn and Cambridge don't shoot, I also project a loss against Pitt, which would put them at a disastrous two and three. That would be an American disaster. Some other results in the pack 12 California lost by 10 against UC Davis. The conference probably could have afforded that unless Cal's just doing crazy things in conference. Stanford in Milwaukee, an American family field. In the middle of a baseball field, lost to Wisconsin, 60-50. to 50. Washington State in a neutral site. And Boise, again, neutral site. Because it is a neutral, technically neutral court. But for all intents and purposes, it was a Boise State home game, which the Broncos defeated the Cougars 71-61. to 61. Oregon State, I will give them credit. I was not expecting them to be Tulsa, but they did. Saturday through Saturday. I was not expecting it, but I gave them credit. Uh, that was a game in which they were down by a lot <laughs> at one point, but had a 21-point advantage in the second half. I'm sorry, 19-point advantage in the second half to win that game. 62% shooting for Morgan State. I have to get to give them props. That was a game in which I wasn't expecting to win, but they got the job done. So all credit goes to them. So now we enter the business end of our program. It's a little bit shifted this year, the business end of our program. For the first time in now, I believe, eight years I've done this program between high school back in Indiana and then and here at Cronkite through all kinds of mediums, particularly here on the podcast platforms, I am now going to exclusively review my top ten for the week. We'll do this every single week. 11 through 25 was revealed early on our Twitter at College Financial. And again, I highly recommend you follow there for... Great content all throughout the week, but the way I did this in the first week, different from previous weeks, I used the preseason top 25 from the AP as a base. Uh, that will not be the case going forward, as week to week, I will use my previous week's rankings as a base to move teams up or down. I got a nice organized Google spreadsheet, and there wasn't a lot I could do this week. Um, there just wasn't. I mean, traditionally, you don't mess with teams that win. Um, if you can help yourself. Uh, and that's the reason why the top eight for me for this coming week will stay the same as it was in the AP poll. That's North Carolina, Gonzaga, Houston, Kentucky, Kansas, Baylor, Duke, and UCLA in that order. I must note that 
Gonzaga, if they had a more convincing game against Michigan State, that would have been a hard conversation for me to have. Do I to put Gonzaga over the top or not? Great effort from them. North Carolina, that Charleston game until the second half wasn't the best for them. And against UNC, UNC Wellington, their defense really was on display in that game. Wasn't the most convincing performance for a number one team that I expect at home. It just wasn't. North, Gonzaga, on the mean hand, scored over 100 against North Florida. Very convincing win. But that Michigan State game, I mean, the Spartans really had to in that first half. And it took an incredible amount of grit and determination to come back from that on the, on the USS Abraham Lincoln to win that game. Took an incredible effort from them. I will say, I think the gap between these two teams is tighter than people think. But I just cannot put myself to put a Gonzaga team over the top right now. It is a little apples to oranges with North Carolina's playing quality of majors, to add. USC Wellington and Charleston are quality of majors, but I could not give myself to put Gonzaga over the top at this point. Three through eight, you can't mess with. The last two spots are where things get interesting. Uh, Creighton against St. Thomas was just not convincing, in my opinion. Only a 12-point win against St. Thomas. St. Thomas is really competing with them really, really hard. A lot of credit to the Tigers, uh, but that was not as impressive as a week as Arkansas's and particularly Texas. So I moved Arkansas to 9 and Texas to 10. Creighton sits at 11. I don't like to do that with teams that win both their games. I don't. And in my opinion, it takes teams with a definitively better week particularly in the early season, for me to be able to do that. And that was the case. Um, Creighton will have every chance to get back into the top 10 with a Mountain Invitational coming up for them later on down the line. But for right now, I can't say it. I, I just can't. They're right there, but I just think that when you compare Arkansas and Texas, I just think it's just a little bit, really just eyes above mouth right now. It's very tight really in that conversation. Some other notes before I get to your comments on what I have done this week. Tennessee, I have dropped from 11 to 18. Again, the preseason AP Top 25 is my base, so it's not my official ranking, but that's the base I have decided to go with. I have dropped Tennessee to 18 um, based on the loss to Colorado. Um, when you compare it, I mean, you look at teams like Indiana, Arbor, Arizona, Virginia, San Diego State, Alabama, Really no choice there. But once it gets to the Michigans and Illinois, particularly Michigan, it's really hard for me to say that Michigan should be above Tennessee. And, and that is a credit to really one man that's Monty Bates for East Michigan. Really, that's his credit. <laughs> he put a phenomenal game of Detroit for the Eagles against Michigan. Um, but that's where I stand right now within that particular conversation. And again... I'm not going to get too picky with how I move teams. I could have moved Illinois over Michigan for the 19th spot. I could have. I decided not to because that's not necessarily where things go a lot of the time. TCU is at 21 for me. Again, we've unveiled that earlier this week. Or not, not earlier this week. Earlier today, which is also this week, but today for more accuracy on our Twitter at CollegeBanagin. Again, follow that for more great content throughout the week. And... Of what they showed against Lamar, I, I just found it really difficult for me to move TCU below Dayton in particular. I found it really difficult. I believe in the experience they have. I believe in the chemistry that, that they supposedly carry. Supposedly. You saw the potential for Mike Moss with the 26-point game against Lamar, but I'd be really careful 
and really bump them anywhere else. If they lost again against Arkansas Pine Bluff, not only are they out of the top 25, they're probably out of the top 30, and God knows that's going from there. Uh, but for right now, I just couldn't move TCU down any further. Dayton at 22, Texas Tech 23. UConn and AM move into the top 25, but I have put UConn above AM. Um, UConn within the other receiving zones was the second highest receiving vote getter, and Texas AM was the first highest receiving point getter. I have moved the Huskies past AM for the time being. Philadelphia becomes my first team out of the top 25. And for all technical purposes, I actually rank a top 36. Uh, so I so that is really my technical point. It gave me a little bit of a point of where to put teams in the, into the 25. And Florida State and Wyoming move out. I mean, Wyoming, what are they doing against Southeastern Louisiana? That was just an ugly, ugly loss um, there. Uh, Memphis and Florida move into the 36. Uh, but just from the top 25 standpoint, we have a few minutes to kind of comp- to discuss it a little bit. Do you have some thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so one major thought that I do have is concerning the uh, Gonzaga situation going on here. That game against Michigan State was a very hard-fought game, of course. But I really, I, I think in the nature that I think that Michigan State is such an underrated team. I mean, you look at that team and, and they are great. I don't think that especially with how Gonzaga finished that game, I don't think you can fault them completely. I, I understand the logic so far that ah, you really haven't seen a performance super close from North Carolina to be able to bump them down uh, below Gonzaga. But um, I think in the future you could definitely see as the weeks go on Gonzaga jumping up to that one spot. I really do think that they have one of the most complete rosters. Uh, they have some great talents on their roster, and I I think that they have a lot to prove in terms of being top team in the country. And if they don't ever win both their games this week, they will do that. Um, they will apps because I mean you have Kentucky and Texas. I mean, even if you go one and one, you're not going to move too far down the order. But if you win both those games, I suspect that they will jump North Carolina. Uh, at least within my personal opinion, there. Um, but right now, I mean, just looking at what things stand on Michigan State, I have bumped them up to 29. I could have bumped them up against Miami, but I find it really hard to bump a team that, down that won both their games by a pretty convincing margin of victory. Um, but Michigan State, they're right there. Uh, about the only thing I did there is I bumped Purdue over Miami. I think that Purdue team is just, they are, they are just going full throttle, and they are just delivering what it matters the most. I really love what that team is doing. Um... We're going to talk about Florida State's failures in their after-party episode Tuesday. That's a change. We'll discuss that later later on at the end of our show. Uh, if you haven't seen it on Twitter already, again, at College Bonanza, I cannot mention that enough. Uh, before, I mean, it's just all kinds of things going wrong with them. And right now, when a lot of teams go 2-0, you just have to really just marginally move teams, kind of play it by ear a little bit. And really just see where things go. But for right now, that's where things go. And there will be a lot more shifting in the weeks to come. Um, so, again, we'll do it every single week. I'm looking forward to this. You know, I was part of the heat check poll of Dominic Stern two years ago uh, when they invited us to Bonanza to join them. Uh, they got a lot more people now. And it's a, it's a changed cast. So they got their own deal going on with them. Uh, but I was super happy to do that then. I thought I would do it now because I really think that it's kind of valuable to kind of get really what's going on up here instead of just going on with 60 other voters. Um, so that is where we stand there. Again, every week we will provide you with my latest update as far as that is concerned. 
Let's hand out some weekly accolades now as we get into our weekly awards as our sports director, Maurice, now comes in to bring in some equipment. Turin the Bonanza. Happy to have you in for about five seconds and get you. the equipment in there. Have a good night. Let's get out into weekly awards, like we said. Um, so what we have to present you are our player, our team, and our mid-major of the week that has not changed from typical shows. What will change, you will actually see our top three lists on Twitter exclusively, which will be a very nice addition to that particular platform. Uh, but I'm going to start with my player of the week first. I am going with Foster Lawyer of Davidson. And he had two 30-plus point games this week. The first one against a non-Division one team. But he excelled. The second one in overtime against Wright State. This is a thriller, by the way. 102-97. Davidson won this game. Really solid game. But for Voster Lawyer in my stupid in the stupid paper, cut out the margin. I think it was a 38-point performance with 11 rebounds. And I can actually see it from here. So I actually probably have some more notes. Yes, it was 38 points with 11 rebounds and nine assists. 11 to 22 from the four from the floor. 9-5 of 12, I should say, from 3, and 11-14 from the free throw line. He is now one of four players in the last 13 seasons to have a 30-plus point double-double, and he is the and he has the most assists out of any of those players. Hadn't happened in almost a year exactly with Hung Jung Lee for four weeks against Charlotte on the road. He had 32 points and 14 rebounds on that particular night. The most of those games have come in overtime. That is actually worth mentioning there. Uh, but he just continued to impress time and time again. And the two other players, outside of Lawyer and Lee, did this twice in a season. John Axel Gutmanson in January 2020. Peyton Aldridge, if you remember his name uh, from his time Davidson, did it in two separate seasons twice. So there's a lot more to come from Foster Lawyer, I'm, I'm sure, and... And above some of the bigger names in college basketball, he was the one that really stood out to me because it's just how crucial he was to that game. I mean, it's just, you had some other performers for sure, but he was the Iron Man. This game went into two overtimes. Foster Lawyer played 48 of 50 minutes. He had one other player play 40, but that was it in that department. Now, Iron Man, the constant performer, what an effort from Foster Lawyer. Yes, yeah, so for my uh, weekly player of the week right now, I'm going to be taking uh, Hunter Dickinson of Michigan. Uh, consistent through his first two games uh, so far this season. Uh, first game against Fort Wayne, uh, a light 22 points and 12 rebounds. This is the year of the big, and he is one of the premier bigs in the nation, and he was able to show that, uh, showing out on the glass. Some great efficiency, shot 81, or almost 82% from the field. Um, in that first game, so it showed some great scoring, uh, warming up to the season. Uh, pretty, pretty solid win for Michigan over Fort Wayne in that game. And then that takes it over to uh, their Friday bout against East, Eastern Michigan. Such a great game. Um, but I really think that the X factor down the stretch for that team was Hunter Dickinson. You look at his 31 points um, in, in, in that game. Uh, seven rebounds as well, but really looking at that scoring, what an efficient game for him again. Uh, shooting 76% from the field, he's been uh, everything that you've needed him to be. Uh, that that elite scoring on the inside, um, some great rebounding, uh, help around the rim. I mean, he, he is proving to be the X factor, and really Michigan doesn't win that Eastern Michigan game. They lose that, that bye game without him, and 
Uh, I, I think that he, he means the, the absolute world to Michigan. Um, and as of right now, they're a 2-0 team, and that's all thanks to Dickinson. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call it a bye game. That'd be him being on a neutral floor. True, um, true. But you're right. I mean, that was all Hunter Dickinson. I mean, for as well as Amani Bates played for the Eagles, that was all Hunter Dickinson. He also caught my attention. was right up there in my, within my conversation as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that he really showed his value. And if he keeps that value, not only is he going to be the most viable player in the Big Ten, he could also be the player of the year, which – my opinion, those two awardings are two different designations. Um, we can talk about that later on down the, down the line in the year, but you're absolutely right. Dickinson had a phenomenal week. Team of the week, I'm going with Alabama. And we talked a little bit last week in our shows over their games against Longwood and Liberty, in which I was really looking forward to seeing how Longwood, and particularly Liberty, and particularly Darius McGee, would play against the Clemson Tide. I thought they did a really good job, that Alabama did, of scheduling two really good games against solid mid-majors in which teams, like a TCU, took the took the another direction which they scheduled some worse mid-majors. You see, and, we, and we've already talked about how that worked out for TCU. Not only did Alabama play against the defending Big South champion and Liberty team that was so strong in the A-Sun, they dominated both of those teams, particularly Liberty. Darius McGee got limited to, I believe, single digits. Um, I don't quite have those box scores up with me. I could definitely pull that up. Uh, but it was quite the performance uh, that they had. I mean, it was just, I was, was looking at the box of the scores, and I wasn't expecting it at all. I mean, I was watching some other games, but yeah, 95-59 against Liberty. They limited Darius McGee to just eight points. He had no assists with three turnovers. I mean, that's impressive as heck. I mean, that is absolutely unbelievable. And another team that had the result gone final, I'm going to put it on top of the research, St. Mary's. Uh, I believe that game has just gone final. It is good news for us in the picks. Uh, let me I'll bring up the scoreline real quick while we're discussing this. Um, if I could really get in. Yeah, there it is. 63 to 33. My <laughs> God, is that unbelievable. But. A side note to the actual conversation, unbelievable performance in Alabama. I mean, it just really separates from the rest. It really does. So for my team of the week, I'm going to be going with the Arizona Wildcats. Um, in the opening night of action, they faced off against Nichols. Yes? Pronunciation correct. Well, I, I, it's oh, like oh, that or Nichols, oh, but... Nichols? Yeah. Um, and just a great showing uh, throughout the team. Uh, you had Sibelis leading your team with 10, from, 10 of 12 uh, from the field, 23 points from him. Uh, but you also had Omar Balo. Uh, he showed out with 18 points. You had Pele Larson with 16. And even off the bench, you had Adama Ball. Uh, he had 14. You had uh, scores coming out from everywhere. Um, it was a 117-75 to victory for them. Uh, scored actually 59 first half, 58 second half. So they were consistent throughout the game. They didn't fall off. Um, even when they were starting to play players from the, uh, near the bottom of the rotation, um, and they did it extremely efficient, efficiently, uh, which is why I have them as my team in the week. You're looking at almost 72% shooting from the field and 61% shooting from behind the arc. That is exactly what you love to see for a team uh, warming up in this season, getting one of these bye games. That's how you have to warm up. Um, and they, they did that uh, perfectly, and they were able to uh, keep it going uh, against the Southern Jaguars in their, in their Pac-12 SWAT game. 
Um, more consistent scoring throughout the starting lineup. Tubalist with 17, Balo with 17, Larson with 17. Um, and then you also had Kurt Kreisa with 14. Just great scoring throughout that starting lineup. You have some more of that consistently. Maybe maybe not as good of a shooting game for them. That one only shot 5 for 20 from behind the arc um, in their 17-point victory against Southern. But it's just so many great high, high spots for this team. Um, and even with, like, 19 turnovers in that last game, uh, which can be refined through, you know, team chemistry, coaching, practice, all that, um, they've shown that. They have those consistent scores, and they have those players that can pop off every night, which is what I love to see in the team. It's a lot different when you're playing that swag team at home on the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot different. Finally, I've been made to it. Let's get a little bit quicker on this one. I'm going with Stetson. One game this week, and it was their Florida State upset. It was impressive. They controlled that game. One of the most impressive upsets of the week, really, when you consider just how well they just controlled that particular game. Phenomenal game. Really puts Stenson on the map. It was their first win against ACC schools since, I believe, like 2010. It's been a while for them. Truly a fantastic performance for a basketball program that just hasn't gotten it going in recent seasons. Yeah, so for my mid-major team, I'm going to be going with the UNC Asheville Bulldogs on opening night. Such a great double overtime game against the UCF Knights. You had Drew Pember pop off for 40 points, and he fouled out in the first period of overtime. Um, just so much fun watching that team. Uh, they they also had Tyjon Jones go off for 20. They they had some clutch performances from throughout the team. Were able to keep it going uh getting a 94-46 victory against Brevard College later on in the week. But I'm really just looking at that first game. What an upset and what maybe maybe one of the best games of that opening night. Such a packed night, but that game had my full attention, and I, I'm loving this UNC Asheville team right now. Yeah, and, and, and UCF on the other side of that, they would turn around, they beat up Florida State at home. I mean, <laughs> that Florida State has got their own issues to worry about, but when you, when you battle against a team like that and go to all those overtimes and get a win like that, it's so valuable. And I'm sure UNC Asheville will use that to really possibly catapult themselves in their season. Um, certainly a good win to draw a lot from. Now let's get on to our predictions. This is going to be an interesting segment here. We're going to do things a bit differently this week. Not only are we going to be providing six usual midweek picks, including the Champions Classic, uh, I believe Michigan State, Kentucky, and Kansas Duke. We also got to have separate Gavit Gaze predictions. Now, this is going to be, be this is how this works. We're going to use the confidence system here, which, if you're familiar with Bull Mania, which that's coming up, by the way, in college football, you assign a certain amount of points based on how confident you are in the pick. We're going to use that. And in the case of a season record tie in our picks, these points will determine that outcome. So, eight games from eight. To one, and this will be in addition to that. These games will count for the season records. Really, 14 games for the week to provide to our season records is also a very, very tight battle. And if we add in the fact that St. Mary's did defeat North Texas, I had a three and three weekend. You were four and two. So, just a quick adding up of things. Where are we at here? We're at nine and six, both of us. Uh, so, not terrible for the first week. Not terrible. Could be better, but not bad uh, in the slightest. So, here we go with the Gabbitt games. We're just going to do this all in one for, for both of us. My most confident pick is going to be Penn State over Butler. I don't have a lot of belief in that Butler team. And 
even if Penn State's being valued a bit too much analytically, this should be a pretty simple win for them at home, I feel like. And going down the list for seven points, St. John's over Nebraska, very similar deal, just conference flipped for me. Northwestern over Georgetown on the road for six. Could be, I could be overconfident here, but I have not seen enough from Georgetown to be confident oh, they're going to win. Uh, it's not like Butler in Nebraska, but Georgetown's right down there uh, with serves the Big East. For five points, uh, Purdue over Marquette at home on Tuesday. I love that Purdue team's going. I think Marquette is a little bit further down within the Big East, and I'm going to have that sl slotted in there. For four points, this could surprise you a little bit, but Michigan State over Villanova. I've seen a lot more at Michigan State than I have from Villanova. Michigan State isn't home. I think it's going to play a big part in things. And yes, the Big East has pulled off some upsets on the road in these Gavit games in recent years. Uh, but I assume that Michigan State, as of right now, has the better team than the Villanova. That could be a stretch, but based on what I've seen right now, it's Michigan State for me. Indiana over Xavier for three points on the road. That's going to be a very tough environment in the Cincinnati Center. But I love the Indiana team. And it could be a very close game for them. They could be sweating bullets in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, feeling on it from TV and FS1. But I absolutely think Indiana should get the job done here. I have Minnesota over DePaul for two points. It's one of those games you have a couple of teams, bottom of their respective conferences. Really hard to project. I just had to go with the home team in this particular instance and really just give it what I have there for them. And then I have Satan Hall over Iowa for just a single point. Satan Hall's at home. I love both these teams. This should be a phenomenal Wednesday night game. Game one of the better games of the night. And that includes the Legends class, by the way. Um, so I'm looking forward to this game quite a bit. Really tough for me to really get my handle on how I wanted to really go with that game. But I have Satan Hall for the one point. And now we'll hear from you and your guy games predictions. So for my top game, the eight-point game, I'm going to be going with St. John's taking down Nebraska. They won both their first games by 25. I mean, just some great showings by uh, DePaul. Transfer, actually, David Jones. He's having a great start to his season. Uh, like in their roster, for my seven-point game, I'm going to be having Penn State taking down Butler. Uh, top 35 team on, on Ken Palm. Five players averaging double digits. That's exactly what you want to see. Consistency from the top to the bottom so early into the season. Uh, I'm having Purdue over Marquette. Uh, they've shown some great defense so far into this season and offense, of course. Uh, Zach Eady is averaging 21-14 and 14 so far. Um, year of the big, and he's one of the most dominant bigs. Uh, and I think he's going to dominate that game. For my five-point uh, game, I'm going to have Northwestern over Georgetown. Uh, Robbie Baran and Ty Berry are proving to be a really great uh, starting duo for them. Uh, putting up a lot of points, grabbing a lot of rebounds, doing a lot of two-way efficiency things. I think that they're great. Uh, I'm taking for my four-point game, Indiana over Xavier, uh, arguably top team. Uh, there's an there's an argument that like Trace Jackson Davis could potentially be him on the national scale. Um, they're averaging 95 points on this season going against in their bye games. Uh, for my number three-point game, I have DePaul over Minnesota, solid team. Javon Johnson and, and Umoja Gibson are a solid duo. Uh, for my two game, I have Iowa and Seton Hall uh, again taking over Seton Hall. They have five players averaging over eleven points. Great team, um, and you look at the analytics, north of twenty on Ken Palm rankings. And for my last game, the game I'm least confident about 
is that Michigan State Villanova game. And I also have Michigan State taking down Villanova. I mean, I talked a lot about their performance against Gonzaga, and I, I'm loving that team. So, Michigan State. Yeah, we've gone with. We've gone a little bit different direction, so that should be interesting to see how that one plays out. But that's going to wrap up our show tonight. So we do have some changes in the next two weeks to get you to not see the Twitter posts on Twitter. Number one, we have this show, obviously, to get that updated to the podcast platform as soon as we can tonight. We're moving the after party episode to Tuesday. On that show, we'll talk about Louisville and Florida State struggles, as well as give you some more by-game brutality moments in this week and give you some more predictions, including the Champions Classic, at that point, some last-minute predictions for the Champions Classic. We'll also provide some other big predictions that we'll have on the week, including Gonzaga versus Texas. That's going to be a really fun game to watch. And then both will be Continental Tire main event semifinals. That's going to be a really fun MTE between Baylor and Virginia and UCLA and Illinois. And on Wednesday, we'll provide part one of a two-part special edition that we'll have in the next two weeks on Wednesdays. Previewing the MTEs. Next week, we'll have some MTEs that are kind of previewing where they are at that point. It'll be a pure preview on Wednesday afternoon. Coming to your podcast platform, wherever you listen to the College Basketball Bonanza. On that show, we'll talk a lot about the Myrtle Beach Invitational, Charleston Class, that they're coming up this week. But also the Mallion Invitational. More about the Continental Tire Man of that. We'll have a lot to discuss on a lot of the premier MTEs that start up within the next week. We'll have that for you on Wednesday afternoon. It'll probably be around noon Arizona time if I had to give an actual thing. Or it could be a little bit earlier than noon for us here out in Arizona. So keep an eye out for that. I'll post it on Twitter as soon as it goes live or at least as soon as I can post it because of my class schedule. But we're looking forward to writing with three shows of content over the next two weeks. And also our Twitter at College Bonanza should be a fun time for us here in the content department for... Myself, Nick Hodell, and Nick Keneally. So, for Nick Keneally, I'm named Nicholas Hodell. Wishing you another fantastic week of college basketball viewing. It's only going to get better and better, Nick. And we shall see you for here on Blaze Radio. Next Sunday night, we'll get you one shiny moment here live for our live listeners in just a few moments. Have a good week, everyone.